it's actually very much costing you a lot of time and energy through not being able to find what you want or just not liking being in your home and maybe trying to overcompensate for that in other ways. So my process is very heavily focused on the importance of eliminating what you don't need. And it's not about just like getting rid of all your stuff. It's really about knowing yourself and knowing your household's needs and what's going to work for you. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imprint. I'm very excited to share today's guest with you. Holly Blakey is a home organizer who has a company called Breathing Room, which is actually focused on more than just organizing. It was established with a larger vision to create space from the inside out, helping you to create much needed space in your mind and the rest of your life. Holly is very much about creating calm spaces that you love to be in and has had her work featured in Real Simple, Domino Magazine, and on Goop. And she also has a beautiful Instagram feed that I encourage you to check out, and I'll put all the links in the show notes. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We talk about how to embrace simplicity in the home, especially in relation to family life. And she also gives a behind-the-scenes look at her business and her journey to becoming a home organizer. Enjoy. Hi, Holly. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to talk to you and talk all things home organization, you know, creating um, breathing room in your home, all of those things. So first of all, I'd like to start with learning a little bit more about you and your journey. And in particular, I'm always curious to find out about your childhood and those early formative years, if there were any threads in that type mm-hmm. of your time of your life that kind of point to what you're doing now. So can you share a little bit about that and perhaps where you grew up and the type of home you grew up in as well? I find that interesting, particularly when it comes to home organization. You know, did you live in a kind of very well organized home or was it the opposite? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I feel really honored. Uh, when you reached out, I kind of had to give a double take, <clears throat> not knowing if that was really Natalie Walton reaching out to me. I have your books. So it's, I feel hugely honored to be talking with you and that you would even be interested in my journey. So <laughs> thank you. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I love that you're asking about uh, how I grew up and my journey because I really do think that has so much to do with why I created Breathing Room. Um, And not just one thing, not just one thing, but a series of things as I grew up and as I became an adult. Um, I grew up in a very, on paper, very, very normal home. I have an older brother. I have parents that have been married for 50 years. Um, Just very, very normal. Um, 
my my house wasn't very organized, but I can honestly say I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, I think that I, you know, having an organized home, I don't think would have made me an organizer. I think sometimes the fact that my house was a little bit disorderly drove me to creating the order. And not that it was chaotic at all. My mom always had, you know, a very normally clean home. Um, I was born in 1985. So, you know, minimalism and, you know, all these, the focus on aesthetics really wasn't prevalent. Um, I grew up in a, you know, in the eighties where, you know, kind of the more, the better. And um, especially I think with my parents growing up in the generations they did, the idea of minimalism just wasn't even around and would probably sound ridiculous back then. It's, it was kind of like, no, the more, the better. And, um, and as a little kid, the more, you know, the more, the better was better sometimes. For me, the drive to create calm and order in my external world was definitely driven by kind of my internal world. I was just always very much a child who felt a lot and thought a lot. And my internal world between my ears was often very busy, very busy, just taking in stimulation and verbal cues from others, nonverbal cues, just so much. I was very focused on other people's feelings. Um, an example that really sticks out to me from when I was a child is there was uh, a little boy in a grade younger than me. I think I was in first grade or second grade and he was a grade younger than me and he had leukemia. And for some reason, I, I mean, that it, it like plagued my thoughts as a little child. And I just really suffered for him. And I remember kind of like following him around on the playground, making sure like everybody was, you know, he was okay. And so, you know, something like that really stands out to me because I was just, always feeling a lot. And so in order to comfort myself, I created order in my external world. And, you know, what that looked like as a little kid is it was very creative at first. Um, when I, I don't know what time, what age I was like nine or 10, but the Spice Girls were very popular. <laughs> and, you know, I remember creating this nook in my closet and I didn't have a walk-in closet. It was, you know, the big doors that slid, but I, you know, on one side, I, I painted it purple. Like I don't even know where I found paint. I found my own paint, my own brushes. I taped it. And then I created, you know, a purple little corner at the dollar store or something. I found these like little shelves that you could like push into the wall. And like, I created shelves for my dolls, you know, like, I loved creating, <clears throat> excuse me, I loved creating uh, little worlds visually. Um, so a lot of the time that was, you know, done creatively, like my closet, I went through a black light phase, you know, in my early teens. Um, and then it morphed more into creating order. I remember when I would go over to friends' houses for sleepovers when I was fairly young, um, instead of sometimes watching a movie, I would organize my friend's desk. Uh, 
it just truly made me feel so good. And, and beyond kind of a therapeutic result that seems a little bit heavier, sometimes I just loved the feeling of changing the way a, an environment looked. I would go into people's, my friends' homes and be like, oh, this has so much potential, you know, and probably my friends would be like, oh my gosh, like, what are you talking about? Um, I just really enjoyed adjusting my environment to bring out those good feelings or to create calm feelings. So it was just always something that I did even from a very young age. Um, and clearly I do to this, to this day. And it's funny having three kids because they are all so different from me. My oldest, who's eight, she feels offended when I clean her room because she feels like her expression is like all the chaos. Um, so it's just really funny being like, okay, I'm going to meet you where you're at, not where I was at when I was your age. So it's always interesting and fascinating. Yeah, no, I can completely relate to that. I've got a nine-year-old and she seems to thrive and revel in kind of doing contrary to what I do. So, you know, the kind of the yes. bright colors, the everything, you know, and I, I mean, it'd be uh, interesting to see how that evolves, whether that is just an almost counter reaction to, yeah, you know, what I like <laughs> and my yeah. kind of what feels good for me. Um, although my 11 year old, I mean, she's now taken to like styling her bed and she does it really beautifully. So I'm like, there's hope maybe my other daughter will kind of yeah. come good. But, um, so what about then when you were kind of in those years of, you know, high school and thinking about mm -hmm. what you want to do post-school, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what was your then thought process in terms of, you know, the type of jobs or career that you might envisage for yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, or was that what you wanted to do? Can you share a little bit about that journey from, you know, where you have to yeah. start making those types of decisions to your kind of what you did do after school? Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that will be comforting for people to know who feel like they don't really know where they're going or they want to pivot to either design or organizing is I was all over the place. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I've changed my mind so many times. It's really only been in the last, you know, nine years or eight years that I've had breathing room where, you know, this is, this is definitely home. And the good news even about this is it, it can pivot and change. Like I thought about nursing. I thought about psychology. I got my degree in cognitive psychology, and that actually plays into breathing room also. So speaking back to kind of my overly empathetic heart, when I was a little kid who kind of wanted to take care of others, I went into a program for cognitive psychology, because I wanted to work with autistic kids. That was something that was really on my heart. And so during college, while I was getting that degree, I worked with autistic kids. And that was a really fascinating experience because I saw how much their environment affected their ability to self-regulate and learn. And I noticed that the consistency in their environment was really key, but also taking away stimulation, which was really 
fascinating to me because I never really, when I was growing up, thought of it in terms of like scientific. I just thought that was me. I thought I like my environment being orderly and consistent and predictable. And it was something I actually did a lot of research about and really looked into during that time of my life in college and working with autistic kids is, yeah, having an environment that isn't so overstimulating, whether it's visual or sensory, all those kind of things, it really makes a positive impact in the ability to learn and self-regulate feelings. And so that was something that even when I stopped doing behavioral therapy with autistic kids, it made such an impact on how I knew I, it really solidified why I liked the environments I did, but I also put that in my back pocket for, you know, knowing that I wanted children and that that would play into how I kind of created their environments. Um, so going back to after I graduated from college, I wanted to really travel. And so I left my job working with autistic kids thinking maybe I'd go back to it, but I took some time off and I traveled and it kind of, I fell into editorial and I started writing for magazines and it was very exciting and glamorous and didn't pay anything. I had no health insurance and it was really inconsistent. And I'm a person who likes some predictability and consistency. And so even though it was amazing, I got to go to Fashion Week and stay in these glamorous hotels and take beautiful trips to wine country and all these amazing experiences, I knew it wasn't sustainable for my nervous system. It was kind of like, okay, I got that checked off. It was really fun. I had to experience that. I had to kind of know how I would handle that kind of living and work environment. And it was very fun and I knew I needed something more consistent. And so from there, it kind of parlayed me into marketing and PR. And I mean, it was a windy, windy road. Where I ended up eventually before I started Breathing Room in my 20s and late 20s is I moved from, you know, the LA area where my husband and I met, we moved back up to the San Francisco area where we're both from. And I went from doing a marketing job down in LA, which was very low key. I loved my boss. I loved the consistency. It was so mellow that I even got my yoga teaching credentials and certification during that time. I mean, I was, I was truly living my best life. It's so funny looking back on it now that I'm a mom of three and have my own business and nothing is very consistent <laughs> right now with life. I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. I had no idea how simple life was. Um, but from that marketing job, it kind of pushed me into PR up in San Francisco. During that time, tech was booming, you know. I mean, it still is. I live up in San Francisco. Tech is everywhere up here. But it was the natural next step and where jobs were. And so I went into tech PR. And at first I thought, yeah, this is going to be a great fit. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to love this. And I didn't. <laughs> I, uh, I did tech PR for, I don't know how many years, four or five. And in general, whatever I do, I want to be very good at it. Um, you know, the word perfectionism can get tossed around 
in my family. <laughs> I don't know if I want to uh, label myself with that, but I just, I want to do a good job. And so what that looked like for me in that kind of environment, that it's very, very fast paced. It has to be, everything's changing so rapidly and there's so much going on is that I just, I couldn't turn off. There was no start and stop. It was kind of all the time. And, you know, the more promotions I got, the more responsibilities I had. And it was hard for me to say no because it, it paid so well, but I knew in my gut and it wasn't even like a deep down thing. I knew, I knew pretty surface level, like, no, this is not for me. Um, I had this experience <laughs> when I was working one time where on my lunch break, which, and I rarely gave myself lunch breaks. It was kind of like you eat at your desk and you just grind through it. But I decided to take a walk down the street to the San Francisco container store. And I remember walking in and I was like, this, this is what I want. And I, I don't know what this was, but it was just this feeling of like, this is, this is what I want. And, you know, it was so funny because at that time I was working with some clients that did solid state storage. <laughs> I remember thinking, no, no, no. Like this is the storage I want container store. And I look back on that time and that was probably one of the first seeds that got planted that, you know, those are, there's those times in your life where you gradually become more uncomfortable with your current situation that it forces you to make a choice. And what ended up happening is I got pregnant and uh, I wasn't expecting to get pregnant that quickly. And it was a huge blessing. Um, but I remember thinking, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this to myself. I'm not going to have a baby and have a family and not be happy. I knew, enough about myself to know that okay, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it really, really well. And to do that really well, I, I don't turn off and that's not healthy for me. And that's not sane for me. There's no balance in that. And so um, I had a really wonderful relationship with my two female bosses at the time. And I was the first person in my company to get pregnant and they were so lovely and so generous to me and really wanted to make it work. And um, I just, I just knew that I, for me, I couldn't make it work. And it was that kind of thing that I thought about a lot of that time, you know, the hearing people say, yeah, women can do it all. And I am all about that. But I also realized that that wasn't the message that like, I would want to give my daughter. It's kind of like, you can do, you can't do it all you can do what you choose to do and do it well. Because for me, and, and people might disagree with me, I feel like women can do whatever they choose to do and do it amazingly. It would have been very harmful for me to try to do it all. Because for me to try to do it all, I stopped doing things well and I stopped taking care of myself. And so I kind of had to push back against this like very, you know, Silicon Valley. I mean, and even I, I feel like, oh gosh, am I like, I'm not trying to go against the feminist movement. I'm like a huge feminist. I have two daughters, but it's more of like, I, I didn't want 
to contribute to this idea that, no, it's okay to stop and take care of yourself. It's okay to say, I can't do it all. And I can do the things I choose to do and do them very well, but I can't do it all. And um, that's even, you know, something I have to really remind myself today as a mom of three with a business, like something's got to give, like something will always have to give. And actually there's this, the connection of all this is really interesting. There's a book called Essentialism that is, have you heard of it? Yeah, I love it. It's great. Yeah. And I read that book um, pretty early in my journey with Breathing Room. My brother-in-law gave it to my husband as like a Christmas gift and it was just on the table and I read it in probably two days. And it's funny in that book, he gives uh, metaphors and analogies about like organizing a closet. And, you know, it's a book I think he intended to write for people in Silicon Valley. Like it's very directed towards business people and it could anybody it is applicable to anybody's life but it's that idea that you know based on what you're choosing some there's always going to be a compromise and um I really really resonate with that on many levels and I'm sure you do too Natalie on a daily basis like okay am I going to get this client email out or am I going to go to sleep and you know there's always going to be a compromise so what happened and interrupt me at any time (laughs) if you have any questions but (laughs) but what happened is when I got pregnant I knew that okay I want to be a mother and a woman and a role model to my children who if I'm going to be leaving the house or taking time away from my kids it better be something I love so much it can't be something that drains like my soul and I come home not able to give them the me I want to give them or I don't want to be putting on a facade of a happy mom and and inside not feeling like that I I, I wanted to show them that hey I'm doing what I love and that actually makes me a better mom and so I left PR and it was a very like graceful departure. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm still in contact with those female business owners. And it's actually so sweet. They like totally, they cheer me on when good things happen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just so grateful for that. Um, But I took a break and I started teaching yoga again. Uh, And that, that was also because going from working so many hours and being around adults all the time and getting a ton of external positive reinforcement, whether it's people you manage or people who manage you or financially, I went from being, you know, from being constantly stimulated and around adults to being with a newborn, having some postpartum anxiety and just not really knowing what life was like. Life got turned upside down. And even though I've always wanted babies. I was definitely that little girl with the baby dolls. Like I've always wanted babies. I felt very lost and kind of frightened and confused after I had my first. And it was a bit of an identity crisis. Um, I really didn't know what was next. I left what I was doing because I knew I couldn't do it anymore and take care of myself. But I really had no idea what was next. And Yoga provided this opportunity to get out of the house, connect with adults, 
take care of myself and then come back. And it provided that breathing room, which really played into why I named breathing room. Breathing room, it has a lot to do with, you know, the fact that I did practice yoga and teach yoga for so many years. The fact that for me, I'm not a good meditator. I've tried so hard, but my form of meditation was really through the breath of yoga. Like I can do that. I can move and breathe and find that calmness that other people find from, you know, sitting still and um, trying to calm the thoughts. And so yoga actually played a pretty big part in the next step of forming breathing room. So that was over eight years ago. And I think Marie Kondo's book had just hit the stores. Um, and I don't even remember, to be honest, if home edit was around. So organizing wasn't a thing at that time at all. But knowing, <laughs> you know, my past of being that little kid who organized people's rooms, when I bought Marie Kondo's book and read it, I was like, wait, hold on, like, stop the car, stop the bus. Like, this is this can be done professionally, you know? And I, I was like, that's amazing. And I, what I did from there and with the kind of business and marketing and PR experience I had, I wanted to form a business plan. So it was kind of like, okay, if I'm going to tell my spouse who is a very practical, pragmatic, hardworking man, okay, honey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become a professional organizer. I better have a good plan to do that. And so I met with a woman in the city who had been doing this for like 15 years, like very old school organizing, didn't have an Instagram, didn't, you know, like she just organized and it was pure organizing and she was a wealth of knowledge. And that's also why when I do coaching or talk to people who are starting, I think it's so important to provide that real human interaction experience and encouragement she was so encouraging she was so encouraging and she told me i could do it and you know as organizing the industries become a lot more uh i don't even want to say crowded because crowded kind of makes it sound like there's not enough room for people there will always be room for people organizing is such a gift um, that I kind of feel like it, you know, there's never going to be enough counselors or hairstylists or anything. Like it's such a loving service and valuable service that there, I always tell people when they say, oh, is it, is, you know, the industry too crowded or, you know, in my city, there's so many organizers. It's like, no, 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 no. If this is what you love to do, you will make such a difference in people's lives. So do it. Ah, so that's a tangent, <laughs> but I created a business plan and I approached my husband and told him what I was going to do. And it's really funny because, you know, I would love to say it was a story where he was like, awesome, like go do it. But he was kind of like, I, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it was, it was just a really funny conversation. And, you know, for a while he you know, I, I think he was very, he understood that I, in my nature, I like being busy and not busy for busy's sake, but 
I like creating and I like doing and I like connecting with people and I like being, you know, building things. And I think he knew that, or he had, a, he probably had a hunch that I, I needed this. I needed this as part of my journey of being a new mom and also wanting to continue to produce something in the world for me that is valuable for me and others. And so he kind of just sat back and watched and it was probably two years into it that he was like, wow, like I'm really, really proud of you because it definitely maybe in his eyes could have been something that I, you know, I tested the waters and it wasn't for me, which is also really okay. Like it's okay to try things on and see if it fits. But um, it's been really neat in our family and in our marriage, his support, you know, has increased a lot as my commitment to this path has stayed very consistent, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. Like, I mean, there's a few things that I can think of. And one is that, you know, you have these threads, like I said, and I often find this, you know, the threads of, you know, you working in psychology or studying psychology, working with these children, really noticing the impact that it has on people. Also, you know, your experience of sometimes as well, I do think those chapters in our lives where we, um, you know, it, it sort of sometimes feels like, say, when you're working in tech that like, well, this isn't related, but you can learn so much from that experience and that informs your next chapter. And then also this realization of sort of thinking like, well, in terms of the type of mother you want to be, like you don't want to be necessarily working those kind of hours or, you know, have that kind of intensity, but then also recognizing, well, I actually do want something you know, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like working out that I, I really don't believe there's no right or wrong way. It's really about tapping into like, what is the thing that feels good for me? What is the thing that, you know, feeds me, nurtures me, you know, feeds my soul, like, and checking in with yourself about what that is. And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting about that. And so my other thing is like, so curious about what was on that business plan and, and what was your strategy? Because so many women that I talk to, you know, they have this point where they've had children and they're starting to think, well, what is this next chapter for me? What is this next thing that I want to do? And, um, you know, they explore different options and they're looking at things, but how do you then go from that curiosity about a particular area to then actually growing something, you know, how, have you structured this business in a way that works for you, that you actually can get clients? Because I know so many people struggle with that side of things as well. Can you share a little bit about that side of the business? Yeah. As far as your question on the business plan, I really had to lean on my strength and what I knew how to do. And because, you know, like you hit on that, those uncomfortable periods where I, you know, I knew I wasn't doing what I love, but I was in tech and I was learning so much about marketing and outreach and PR and how to build brands. I mean, part of what I did was brand development and brand consistency and social media. And so I really had to lean into what I knew and also what really made me excited. And so as far as the business plan, I knew that I had to create a consistent, cohesive 
brand story and brand image. And the thing about, you know, with what you're doing and what I'm doing, it's very visual and very aesthetic. And so that was, I knew off the bat, that was very important. What I'm going to put out in the world, especially as a brand new company and in a time where, you know, there were, there were some organizers, Shira was around and I have to, I love Shira so much. She has become a very good friend over the last eight years. And, and we're just really referring fun. to Shira Gill, who um, I will put a link in the show notes to my interview with her. And I love everything that she creates too. Yeah. And she's just such a genuine person. And it's been really fun to be on this journey with her over the last eight years because, you know, the industry has changed a lot since COVID and all the TV shows and kind of product booms and all that kind of thing. But um, I knew that I had to have a very strong uh, brand consistency and brand development. And that's what I really worked on. And, and that was what I really liked doing. I loved colors and forming my logo and forming my website. And, you know, in the beginning when Instagram was just pictures, God bless those days. I miss those so much, but you know, you got to see, you know, kind of a layout of a grid. And that was so fun to me. It was, it was creating a story visually and it wasn't just for visual consumption, but it also I was selling what I was doing. I wanted people to look at what I was putting out there and it to give them a feeling of breathing room. And that was also the consistency that I wanted to really people to connect with that what I was doing and what I was offering to people wasn't just about making things look pretty. And that is totally the icing on the cake and the cherry on top. But what I was doing was creating an impact in their lives that made them feel the way I did when I was little and I would organize my room because that is why I did it when I was little. And that's why I do it now. It's this, you know, I, it's one of the most satisfying feelings still is after I create an updated system and I take things away that aren't serving people things they don't use or love and they're left with the things they do love they need um they value and then creating those systems that really make their lives simpler when they see those for the first time and they have that like oh and it's sometimes like that sound you know it's like oh I like being in my house again, or I like walking into my closet again, or, oh, I do have things I can wear. Oh my gosh, this is going to make my mornings with all my kids, you know, so much easier. Or, oh, like this is self-care for me. Like I don't do this for myself a lot as a busy mom or a working mom or just an under, you know, or just whatever you are, whatever phase you are in giving that feeling to people was something I wanted to translate visually when I was first starting. And so I had a lot of fun in the beginning, creating my, my brand. And um, I also knew because of my experience that growing my brand would mean connecting and kind of aligning with other brands that gave that sense of breathing room. So an interesting story that, you know, is still 
so much fun and I'm so grateful for is pretty early on in breathing room, I followed Sugar Paper, which is a, you know, a stationary store in the States. I think it's sold probably everywhere. I think it's sold overseas. Is it not? No. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not familiar. But it's, you know, this beautiful stationery. And I connected with the owner, and this was a really long time ago. And and it was just, I think it was about kids or something. I was over Instagram. And uh, a few months later, she reached out to me to go down to LA and organize her kitchen. And I seriously, it was like the weekend. And I, I remember where I was. I was leading. I had only one kid. And I was leading a like teenage girls youth church retreat, <laughs> which that makes it sound like I am very, very of service and stuff. It was one of those experiences where like they didn't have anybody and they were like, Holly, can you help out? I'm like, okay. But I remember all these teenage girls were asleep and I look in my Instagram and I have this message saying, will you come organize my home in LA? And I like was like, I think I looked around the room like, uh, like, is this going on? Is this real? And you know, from there in this kind of like very natural um, connection with them, but also visual brand alignment. Their their brand, even though it's very different, they sell a product, is very, you know, consistent with mine. You know, we've over the years gotten to do things together that are really fun. Like I've done, uh, and I just posted this the other day, like I did a whole video for them about creating an organized wrapping closet or, you know, systems. And so it's, it's just been really fun. And that was something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to connect with other brands that I admired and valued. And, you know, we shared similar um, kind of missions to improve people's environment. So that was kind of the start of that business plan. And so what about then charging? Because I know that this is something that people (laughs) really struggle with, particularly when they're starting out, because obviously you want to be able to show to people that, you know, this is what you can do. This is what you can offer. You want to get testimonials. You want to get beautiful images Mm. for your website, all of those things. And yet it can sometimes be challenging for a lot of people to, to know what to charge particularly in terms of, I think, when you are a mother and it's taking you away from your children, like you want to grow this business, you want to get more clients, but it kind of needs to be, this is what I feel certainly within what I do is that it needs to be worth my while to take my time away from my family, from my children to, to do this work. You know, you can't, you're not a charity. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, of course there might be some things that you do in a charitable way. And, you know, there might be some situations where you do just volunteer or or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's that finding out how to value your worth and know how to charge and how have you navigated that within your business? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. And I mean, what you just said, you took the words out of my mouth. There have been times, and and I'll say the whole financial piece of owning a business is the biggest challenge as far as putting a number on about like a value on your time and a number on your time. And so what you said about it has to be worth taking me away from my family and my kids because Oh, and this is such a struggle. And I, you know, 
one thing I've done for myself is I've taken, I try have, I've tried to minimize the expectation of that word balance. I can always be striving for it as a mom, but I'm not expecting myself to find it because every day is so different. Um, and so how that relates to, you know, what you charge, it's been a journey for me because I go back and forth with, oh, but I, I want this project. I want this project. This is an exciting project. And then through experiences, like, oh, I need to put a higher value on my time because in that time where I'm in somebody's house or doing a product, a project, like a business collaboration, I could be at home reading with my kids or, you know, them just letting, like letting them crawl on my lap or something. And so when I started out and, you know, when you're starting out, you have to weigh the pros and cons of, okay, I want to get my name out there. I want to get some clients under my belt. And, you know, sometimes it's, if it's a project that is going to provide a lot of value in other ways, whether it's, you know, visual for your website or, you know, a connection with uh, a brand or a designer that, you know, is, is really good for your business. You have to weigh those pros and cons, but definitely at this point in my business and over the last few years, I've had to, I've, I mean, in the last eight years, I've absolutely increased my rates. I, I've had to, I mean, I started out with like the lowest rates um, and it just wasn't making sense financially because as a mother, you have to have childcare, you know, and when my kids were really, really little, and I was doing this when they were really little, when I started breeding them, my daughter was not even a year old and um, she's almost going to be nine. And so I've had babies during this time and they don't go to school. And so if I'm paying a nanny or a babysitter to come in so I can be in somebody's home, um, it has to make sense financially and it has to make sense emotionally. And I think that is another thing and that that's a huge cost that I think isn't factored in uh, for moms is there's a cost you know in it's not just us leaving and coming back it's us leaving and knowing that dinner needs to be made and we have to clean our own homes and whatever self-care that we have whether that's sitting down in the morning and journaling you know I I've had to really work that's been a journey for me and not always the most pleasant journey and sometimes a very painful journey um, in, okay, how, how am I going to put like a value on my time? And so my rates definitely gone up and, you know, it's interesting because I have this in my own mind, you know, these kind of tapes that play of, okay, I'm going to tell somebody when they ask, okay, what's your rate? Whether it's because sometimes I travel for work, I go do a project somewhere else. And so it's a, it's a pr whole project rate or it's a daily rate. It's not just an hourly rate. And I get this anxiety of like, I'm going to tell them and they're going to like be like, oh, I, ugh, I can't work with you, you know, and, and that's only in my head because that really has never happened. Or when it has, that's a really good indicator for me that that's not a project for me. And I will say that it's been a lot of like coaching myself on my value and my, like the value of my time too. And so, you know, I, I love that thing of like, you know, and kind of like giving yourself a pep talk, like how would you talk to a friend or, you know, for me, sometimes I'm like, what would I say to someone who 
is hiring me for business coaching, you know, because it's so much easier to say it to somebody else, like value your time, say that rate. If they don't like it, you'll find a different client, you know? Um, but I, I still have to do that for myself to this day. And it gets easier, especially as I get more consistent. And I'm very, very clear on my yeses and my no's, you know, making sure my yeses mean yes. And my no's mean no, so that when I am out of the house, I feel like I've made a good decision about that. So can you share then um, a little bit of, you know, how many clients were you working with, say, in the early days versus now? Um, you know, what is, I, I definitely want to get into your process and, you know, get you to share about that. But just a little bit more on this sort of, I guess, the business side of things, like, you know, what's your workload like? What's your um, your week like in terms of, you know, how much work you do, how many maybe even hours, you know, do you do um brand collaborations and that's a way for you to earn money so that you can kind of pick and choose your clients in a way like can you just share some insights into that part of your business yeah yeah and I think my answer to this hopefully is very encouraging to people who are getting started and aren't quite sure what it looks like for them as far as client load or hours or what they can really do um when I started I (laughs) I, I mean, it was, it almost felt very wacky, but it, it worked. And I, I had to make it work for me and my family in the beginning. But, you know, my projects were, I would tell people like, okay, I'm going to do your kitchen and I can only be there four hours a day, you know, which now today, because my kids are a little older and I can go away for 10 hours at a time or whatever that looks like, because I was either nursing or I had to like pick a kid up or you know, I, in the beginning, like I couldn't afford a nanny. It's true. Like, so it's like my hours were limited. And so I would tell people, here's, here's the plan and here's the project scope. And I'm going to be here these days for four hours a day. And that's what I had to do because either I had to go home and pump or, you know, or my nanny had to go home or whatever it was. So in the beginning, my projects were really uh, short and small. I never did a whole home move-in. Um, I did little mini bite-sized projects that I could put under my belt. It would give me some confidence. In the beginning also, I have to say, and I've heard so many people say this who are interested in getting into this industry, but it's kind of like this um, imposter syndrome. Like I, I do this for myself or my friends and I'm really good at it and really love it. But like I kind of don't know if I'm going to know what I do. I mean, like doing when I go into somebody else's home. And I think that's very, very, very uh, common. And for me, even though I sometimes worried about, oh, I'm not, I'm not able to do this in the way that my head says I should, I should be able to go and do eight hours a day, finish the, you know, start the kitchen in the morning, finish it at night. Like that's what they want me to do. Right. But it was like, no, I had to do it in the only way I could as a very brand new mom. And that was in bite-sized pieces, but those bite-sized pieces over time gave me a lot of confidence in that I knew what I was doing. So in the beginning, I took on almost any project that I could get where the client was okay with me coming four hours a day. And it, it progressively grew. Now, eight years later, I'm really lucky that I can pick and choose what projects I take on. And for example, 
it's very rare that I take on a garage project unless it is a client who I adore and I would do anything for, or a like when I hear garage, I'm like, I have, a, I truly have a cut and paste list of other organizers I love in the area. And I send it because I, I don't enjoy doing garages at all anymore. And offices are one of those things also that I did so many times, you know, over eight years. And now it, they're just so tedious that, you know, the spaces that I love and I do a lot of, you know, kind of whole home projects where that really just means kitchen, pantry, kids' rooms, closets, bathrooms, you know, those kind of things. But I, you know, when I, a new client reaches out to me and I have a very, very in-depth client intake form that has been eight years in the making based on accepting a lot of projects where I'm like, oh my gosh, I probably wouldn't have accepted that project if I knew what it was going to be. And so my client intake form is very uh, exhaustive to get a lot of information uh, about the space, about the client, about their expectations, telling them my expectations. That has been a really, really big thing also is that I always thought it was like, make the client happy, make the client happy, make the client happy. And what happened a lot, especially with organizing, is one of my biggest things for my type of organizing is I'm not just going to come in and repackage and sort everything you have. Somebody, another organizer who is fabulous can come do that for you. My type of organizing is I really believe in eliminating the clutter in your life that isn't serving you. And that's why most people reach out to me. They know that my type of organizing, they want that experience. But I still come across, you know, projects where for as many times as I say, you know, the expectation is you you want to get rid of stuff and I'm going to be part of that process, whether I send you my workbook on, you know, editing or you want me there editing with you. And in in some cases, you know, it's been experiences where the edit just hasn't happened and it's become a project that I don't think they sign up for or I sign up for. And so I think such a big part of owning a business, being a business owner, whether, you know, it's you, Natalie, or so many other people, is like kind of setting the expectations of what you are expecting in the project too, not just what they want from it. And that's, that has saved me so many tears over the years. Yeah, I think expectations are key. So let's let's talk about your process then. Let's talk about what you enjoy doing, what you feel like you offer the best value to to clients in terms of your style of organizing. Can you provide a little bit of insight into that? I, I love this idea of eliminating because I'm that's my my kind of jam in terms of I, I think it helps um you know, obviously not only just create a beautiful space, but it makes it sustainable as well. Otherwise you're just constantly rearranging stuff all the time, even if it looks pretty, but you still have to deal with it. And I feel like the less stuff you have, the less stuff you have to manage and the easier it makes your life. So let's talk about your process and, and what you enjoy doing, what you feel gets results for people. And, um, yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, exactly what you just said, as far as it's so important to be continually editing. I mean, our lives are so fluid because 
our lifestyles are always changing based on our age and who's in our family and activities going on for the people in our family. Uh, our wants, needs, and desires change, you know, our environment. And so one example I was given, it was interesting. I had a, a magazine reach out to me to ask, you know, for the New Year's and editorial content right now, you know, with January becomes very heavy on organizing and improving your home or improving yourself, all those kind of things. And one of the questions was, you know, what, what's the most important thing or the best thing that people could eliminate in their house in January? And I gave some examples, but one of the examples I always give clients, especially, you know, in one of the first or second conversations I have with them in order to them, in order to give them a very clear understanding why it's so important to eliminate or edit, is that you know if you take a fridge for example, if it's been years or I mean sometimes even weeks or months since you've given it a good editing and in, like taking up inventory is things are expired, you don't know what you have, things are going to waste, so you're actually wasting money. You're buying more of things you already have in there because you don't know where it is. You can't see it. Things are piling up. And so, you know, whether it's your fridge or your closet or your kids' toys or the pile of art from school, which is crazy, um, it's so important to know what you have so that you're not continuing to buy more of what you already have and you don't need, but also on a daily basis, it's just so much more efficient. Like in the morning, if you're making breakfast, either, whether it's for yourself or your kids, it's gonna be more efficient if you know where everything is. If you can just grab it and it's not expired and you know, take your closet, for example. I think a lot of time and emotional energy is wasted when you walk into a closet and A, you feel like you have nothing to wear because there's, if you're overstimulated, and you're just not highlighting via eliminating what you don't need. You're not highlighting all the options that make sense for you in your stage of life. So yeah, my, my process, I'm pretty clear with clients that I'm going to be very, very effective for you. And you're going to have the outcome that you want, but you need to be willing to do the hard work of an edit. And I'm also, you know, I ask them, do you want me to be there? Do you want me to walk through that process with you? Which some clients really do. They're like, yeah, like I've tried, I've tried so many times to do that big closet edit or whatever toy edit it is. And they're like, I get distracted. I prioritize other things. I just can't get it done. Yes. I do want to pay you for the day to come do that. Other people are like, no, like I want to take that step, you know, and I want to do it myself. And if that's the case, I, you know, I send out my workbook that very clearly like gives helpful hints and or tips and, you know, direction and guidance for that, because you really do have to be ruthless and you have to kind of keep in mind the end result because you can easily get paused and stalled, whether it's you just kind of get overwhelmed by everything or emotional attachments or doubting, you know, and one of the biggest doubts comes from like, oh, but I paid for that, you know, and it's, I love being able to talk clients through, well, there's options. If, if you're guilting yourself over not wanting to eliminate because you're, you feel like you're wasting money, there are so many options for resale, but also 
you know, and I feel like you've hit on this and you probably really understand this, but what does it cost to you to keep all this stuff that you don't like? Like it's actually very much costing you a lot of time and energy through not being able to find what you want or just not liking being in your home and maybe trying to overcompensate for that in other ways. So my process is very heavily focused on the importance of eliminating what you don't need. And on that point, I think it's also really important because, you know, organizing is very pop culture-ish right, right now. And um, I think people can kind of make fun of, you know, or laugh at like minimalism or whatever. It's not about just like getting rid of all your stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's not being frivolous with your belongings and not really like, oh, I'm just going to get rid of it because I don't like it right now visually. It's, it's really about knowing yourself and knowing your household's needs and what's going to work for you. Because I mean, in one week I can be in two different homes and the way they're editing and what they're editing is going to look a lot different. And it's really important to be thoughtful about that. It's not just frivolously getting rid of stuff and not really caring about the environmental impact or whatever. Like there's definitely ways to be so thoughtful about that, but it's, it's really understanding your outcome for like, you know, I ask people like, that's the first question I ask. So why are you reaching out to me? Why do you want to get organized? For some people, it'll be like, I just, I want to like walking in my closet again for other people to be like, Oh my gosh, like the playroom, whatever space, it's a mess and it's chaotic and it's not working. It's inefficient. So like really understanding the why and the end result you want is going to help you in that process of editing. And so what are, you know, I think some of the common things that I hear from people in terms of, you know, what they struggle with is letting go of things. I mean, you've sort of touched on the financial aspect, but sometimes also there's that emotional aspect it's like they feel guilty about letting go even though they don't really want it you know that they don't yeah. love it you know they've been given mm -hmm. this thing um what are some of the sort of tips or strategies that you share with people that you could share with listeners to sort of who are struggling with things like letting go of maybe their things that have been passed down to them or you know they've been a gift or you know some of those areas what what's what are some of the strategies you share with people? Yeah, I get a lot of people who are like, oh, but my mother-in-law gave this to me. And if she comes over, she's going to be so upset. And there are cases where it's, you know, going back to like the pros and cons and, and weighing, you know, what's more important for some people, the burden of feeling guilty if your mother-in-law comes over and it's not there is bigger than the burden of keeping it. So kind of knowing yourself, but also I walk, especially with a lot of moms walk through the whole, you know, Christmas and birthdays, their kids are given a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that <laughs> moms would not buy for their own kids. And having kind of bigger picture view of there will be so many more birthdays and so many more Christmases and so many more celebrations that if you don't, give it up and you don't let it go, it's all going to continue overwhelming you. And overwhelm is one of the reasons people reach out to me. They are overwhelmed with their stuff. They're overwhelmed with all the kids stuff. 
that, ah, but you know, they gave it to us and I, I feel guilty getting rid of it. Well, okay. Like that's kind of a therapeutic thing. <laughs> like you need to really be okay with potentially disappointing somebody. And even, even for myself, like I, in the past have had to have conversations. We, we lived in a, oops, sorry, that was not noisy. We lived in a thousand square foot house with three kids during COVID. My husband and I both worked. There was not an option to get big beanbag chairs for Christmas from family members. And so I had to have those. Now I wanted to have those conversations that we value your relationship with the kids so much. We love you so much and our house can't accommodate it. And maybe even for people whose houses can, you can kind of angle it more of, we rather have the kids receive an uh, experiential gift from you. They love going to the museum with you. They love doing this with you. Um, a few years ago, I wrote a blog post on this very this exact thing and I can I can send it to you because a lot of people ask me as an organizer what do we do about like all the gifts we receive and how do you have those conversations and not hurt people's feelings and there are definitely ways to go about that and there's always you know the time where you you do need to keep your great aunt's vase that you don't really like you don't have to keep it out there's also those options like I've created for some clients, bins that go in the garage. And <laughs> I remember one client, it was labeled like family gifts, meaning like gifts they've been given. And because they said, I just, I will have so much anxiety if I get rid of this, because what if? And it was like, okay, the solution here is we're going to create a bin and we're going to put these few items in there and it's going to go in the garage. And if those family members come and you need to get it out, like that was a system that worked for them. What wasn't working for them was keeping them keeping it out all the time and they didn't like it. And it wasn't something that brought them joy or made them love their home even more. And it kind of made them like, interestingly, in one situation, it made them kind of resentful. Like they kind of felt like that item was like a little bit controlling them, you know? And so it's, it's interesting. Like belongings have a huge impact and what's in our home, you know, and the relationships attached to them can have a huge impact, but there's always options. There's always options of creating other systems. Um, and, and making it work for your family. What are some of some of the other things, um, the big issues that come up with clients or people that you talk with that um, you could provide some kind of strategies or, or tips with? Um, I'm just curious if there are any other big ones that come up a lot. Yeah, daily systems are a big one. So for families with young kids, they feel like they can't keep up with the incoming items, whether that's school papers or, I mean, it, it's almost funny. Like sometimes my kids bring stuff from school and I'm like, that's not even from school. Like did another little kid, like give that to you. Now you're bringing it home. So kids are very good at uh, quickly multiplying their bedroom items and what they're bringing home. And you don't know where they're coming from even. So I worked with a lot of families of busy, overwhelmed parents who just feel like they can't keep up with what's coming home. And so creating systems that aren't overcomplicated that they can do on a daily basis because those daily systems make such a big impact. And if it can be a really quick system that works 
for the family. So an example, well, I'll give the example of my house. So three little kids. Oh my gosh, the stuff that comes home in their backpacks, including glitter last week, Jossie, my three-year-old, like not even a little glitter, like a lot of glitter. I'm like, what? Like, how did this even come home? But for our house, and we just remodeled our house, I knew that I'm not the kind of mom, even though I'm an organizer, to have like an elaborate system on top of my counter for my kids' incoming stuff. Like, I don't want that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not even going to have the time to meticulously sort things as a very busy mom. So one of our huge drawers, you can't really see my hands, one of our huge drawers in our kitchen, um, I just put simple spring-loaded wood dividers because I have three kids, so two dividers, and there's a pile for each. And this system, which absolutely works for me and has worked for a lot of other, my, um, other clients of mine, I get the backpack and I unload the items in their slots. If it is scribbles on a page or an assignment that I don't care about, it goes straight in the recycling. So the recycling bin is right there next to the drawer. The things that I want to hold on to, I put in their sections and it's just an open drawer with dividers. Then the system is so efficient because once it gets full, that is my indication that I need to do an extra purge. The things that I end up keeping, I put into either a photo book or a keepsake. If it's super special, it'll go into a keepsake folder. Truth be told, I haven't even created this keepsake, whatever it's gonna be. It's just a keepsake box for the kids. Each kid has a keepsake box. And these are things like the very, very few things at the end of whether it's each quarter or whatever, go in there. Otherwise, if it's art, I take a picture and it goes into one of those photo books. So like simplest solution, it's not some like meticulous organizer that you buy on Pottery Barn or anything. It's just dividers. And I put my kids stuff on there. I've done that for quite a few families who don't really want, they don't want to see the visual clutter every day. So it's like nice to have it in a drawer. When it gets full, they handle it. So it makes it pretty easy, especially for busy families. Yeah, we have something similar. We've just sort of got a like a wire basket and I put them in and then when that gets full, then I go through and sort that. We've, I got to call it an archive box that like it's just like a cardboard yeah. box that I then put yeah. in those special things. And then and even that, like mm-hmm. I'll edit through mm-hmm. those over time, you know, maybe once, you know, if it's starting yeah. to get too full and um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's I find it fascinating. So I've got a 14 year old and he actually is better at letting go of stuff than I am. You know, like he will bring things home and I'm like, oh, we've got to keep that. He's like, no, I don't care about that. And, you know, so oh, it's, like, it. it's interesting mm-hmm. that it can sometimes challenge you. Like, what are you holding on to mm-hmm. that you actually don't need? Yeah. Like, sometimes we yeah. invest more emotion into things than what the children do. So mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting. All right. I have to talk to I you about that. Instagram because I think you do it so well. You have a beautiful feed. I think, you know, if you do have a business, if you're trying to do client work, it's such an important tool. I mean, as you say, you know, you're kind of got this marketing PR background, but Instagram, as you've touched on is, is, you know, it brings its own set of baggage with it. <laughs> and, um, That's, yeah, totally. Yeah. So how do you choose to show up on Instagram in terms of, you know, how do you plan what you share mm-hmm. on there? How do you, um, 
you know, set time limits maybe around Instagram? How do you choose what to write in terms of like what you write in your captions? Because I think that can be tricky for people, you know, like how much do you share? You know, how much of it is personal about you? Um, you know, it's this thing that can you can be, you know, share your entire life and all your children and all of that kind of thing, or you can keep it more work based. Where, where's the the boundary for you? Where, you know, how do you choose to show up on Instagram? Yeah, that's such a good question. And that's something also that I think for a lot of people, because Instagram and social media are changing like all the time and so quickly that I used to be very good at having a content calendar with my squares and, you know, I, I'd make it according to what time of like the year, like in January, I knew what kind of my, my content was going to be spring cleaning, um, holidays. I mean, all sorts of things. Like I could very much plan out my content and it was a lot simpler when it was just photos. It was a lot simpler. And I will say that since it's become a lot more video-based, I've had to kind of throw my plans out the window because I have to be a lot more flexible. And also just with, you know, my business, business growing more, I have, I have less time to really plan it. And, um, also kind of what cracks me up is as much as I can plan the things that I sometimes put the most effort and energy into get the least engagement. I'm like, what is this? This is, I mean, this is wacky. So I think I've chosen to look at that as a good thing because that takes a lot of pressure off myself for having meticulously meticulous planning and making sure I say everything right in there. And like, I don't even put hashtags in there and hashtags used to be, this is what's funny. Hashtags used to be really important for searchability. Um, I don't even, I don't even know if they work anymore. And I clearly I'm not like an expert, but I've had to take a lot of pressure off myself to be honest. That's kind of been a personal journey <laughs> of like, you know, not worrying so much about getting it perfect. I think at this phase, I'm very clear visually on what I'm going to put out there, whether it's a video or a photo or whatever it is, or on stories. Um, I'm pretty clear about, you know, it needs to tie back to my brand, whether that's you know, organizing, styling, being a mom, part of part of my brand and part of why people hire me is they know that I'm a, I'm a mom who knows how to organize for families. And so that's part of my branding too. And, and my story and what makes me me. Um, I will say there's been times over the last, you know, the years that I'll put something up and it'll sit with me for a while. And I'll be like, you know what? I don't like that. And so I delete things and that's, that's really refreshing too, because it's like, it's not black or white, you know? Um, and also kind of to <laughs> take like, you know, make it not as serious. Like sometimes I'm like, you know what? I put a lot of pressure on myself and I think a lot of people do. It's like, sometimes I don't think many people even see it. So it really doesn't matter that much. Um, but at the end of the day, whatever you're leaving up there, I would say for me, whatever I'm leaving up there, I want to feel really good about yeah, it might not be hitting, you know, these like engagement rates or whatever, but 
I look around and even the business owners or entrepreneurs, or companies that I really respect and enjoy following, it's not because they're like selling these like really cool, trendy Amazon organizing things or whatever. And, and I think there's also a place for that. So that's not me saying that that's not good or important. I think that can help people, but the people who I really, really uh, enjoy what they're putting out there, they're very like true to kind of their mission of why they even started the business. So, you know, Natalie, whether it's you or Shira or, you know, brands offer products I like, it's, I can tell it's just like very genuine. And, you know, some days, a post or a, you know, a project that I worked on that was like, took me so long. And it, to me, I'm like, gosh, this is so beautiful. And it's really important. It truly might get like 45 likes, <laughs> you know, and then other things where I didn't put any, you know, it's, it's still relevant. And I think it'll help people. It'll get so many. And so I've actually enjoyed the fact that I have no idea what's going on anymore <laughs> with social media. I think that's taken a little pressure off because it's like, I'm not even going to try to figure it out. I'm just going to keep putting out there what I'm producing. And a lot of what I'm producing is very like natural. Like it's what a project I just worked on or a brand collaboration. So I'm just going to put it out there. Um, as far as you asked kind of about like, if I, you know, like putting my kids up, I've, I've had to really like kind of pull that in a little more. My eight-year-old. I'm not, you know, she's, she's, you know, a little girl and I don't want to do that. And anything that I do put, like say my three-year-old on, it has to make sense. It has to add value. And that's kind of a guiding line that I give myself is like, is it providing value? Is it helping somebody? Is it teaching somebody? And so a few weeks ago, might've been a month ago, it was like content about how to like you know, organize and pack for a trip with three kids, which, you know, taking three kids on an airplane is um, always a puzzle. And it was about, you know, creating these bags for the kids. And so uh, my three-year-old was in one of the photos because they were for her, you know? And so, but I think, you know, for people listening, kind of like not sure what the heck is going on with, <laughs> you know, or not sure what they want to put out there with social media. I think it's okay to say like, try, like try things, try different things, try them on. You can always delete them and just kind of take the pressure off yourself for expecting perfection. I think there's also a lot of value in the imperfection. You know, some of the times I connect the most with people, you know, on these platforms where I'm like, is there anybody out there? Like, is it just me? The times I connect the most are when it's, it is imperfect. And so what about the amount of time that you spend maybe creating or sharing, or do you, do you have like a time limit you give yourself a day, you know, those kind of boundaries, like what, what works for you at, at the moment as well? Like you say, I mean, I know it can change and yeah. adapt all the time. Yeah. I don't time limits necessarily because some days I have to do more on social media than others. Um, if I'm doing a brand collaboration and I have to create a bunch of content and then edit it and all those kind of things, some days are more heavily focused and, and I'll, I'll plan ahead. Like on Sunday, 
I look at when deadlines are and I'll be like, okay, this is my day where I'm going to, you know, do batch content, like do a lot of filming in my house or if it's at, you know, another location the next day or that evening is where I'm going to do all the editing. So I, you know, it, every day looks a little different as far as my natural boundaries that I've had or I want to apply is I don't want to be on my phone in front of my kids. That is something that doesn't make me feel good. And I get a lot of mom guilt about, and, and, you know, if I have to, you know, reply to an email, a really important email, and it's in front of my kids and, and they're like really savvy, they'll be like, mom, like, you know, why are you on your phone? There are times where I have to be like, Hey guys, like, I know that, and, and we have, you know, we have other rules in our house around, you know, their time on devices. And so I want to be consistent about being a good role model. And I also sometimes remind them like, you know what, like I'm a working mom. And so there will be times when you see me on my phone and I have to reply to email because I don't have a computer in front of me. Cause it's really interesting, right? There's like more legitimacy if my kids see me with a computer open typing an email. But if I'm doing an email on my phone, they think I'm like, you know, playing the game. And so there's times where I have to explain to them, you know, there's, I, I need to do this. But in general, once I pick my kids up from school, or if it's a late day and my nanny's watching them, and once I am in the door, my phone, for the most part, is away. Um, the boundaries I do need to work on are, like, once the kids are in bed, it's me and my husband, and that's our time. And sometimes I use that time to continue working. And so that, I feel like I have pretty good boundaries around work and being on my phone in front of my kids because also I have three like they sometimes just naturally do not let me even if I want to do like it's like, like I couldn't you know um but the boundaries I really want to work on are you know putting down my phone it's so easy right like when the crown is on or whatever's on like I'm gonna send some emails or do some photo editing or something it's like those are those are the things that I, I think I need to work on a little bit more too that's a work in progress. Yeah, no, I think it is for most of us. And um, now before we sort of wrap up and ask, I've got some questions that I always ask at the end of each episode, but I do also want to ask you, um, I, do you work purely alone um, in your business or have you started to get an assistant? Mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, being an entrepreneur, um, working on your business can sometimes be a lonely experience you know do you connect with other entrepreneurs do you have your own mentor or coaching or, or whatever I'm just curious how you navigate that I mean you know it offers so much flexibility but then at the same time you know you've got yeah. to make all these decisions in relation to your business and what's you know the next evolution mm -hmm. and what's you know how to grow it and all of those things like what are the you know what are the strategies you use in relation to that Mm -hmm. Those are great questions. And I'll answer the one first about, do I have a team or do I work individually? So over the last eight years, things have changed a lot. Like there has been times where I have so many client projects and they're big projects. And even this time last year, I had three assistants and I had a, um, an admin person that really helped me on all the incoming emails. And there, there's a lot that, you know, I had her do and she was amazing. And this time, like 
now I don't have anybody working for me. And um, I really had convinced myself at a certain point, And I think it was from also kind of, you know, you see other people's, how they're doing their business and um, it makes a lot of sense and you can kind of compare. And there was a time where I felt like, okay, I really do need to grow my team. I need to scale. Like that's, I, I was convinced I need to scale because then I can get bigger projects. I can get them done quicker. This is what I need to do. And I went through hiring is a lot of work. Hiring is a lot of work, especially, you know, this kind of work where you're in people's homes and it's oftentimes really sensitive subjects, whether it's clothes and how they fit or, you know, family items. And I mean, you're in somebody's home with their belongings. It's, you know, for me, it was really important who I hired and um, I hired great people, but it took a lot of time and energy, you know, and I really, really enjoyed it. And um, naturally what happened is, you know, whether one person moved away, there's other, you know, circumstances, one person got a job, they, other things. When I was left with myself, again, I realized that that was more efficient for the kind of organizing I do. Most of my clients want just one person to come in and they want to be guided by me individually. At those times when I had a bigger team, I was getting those projects that required a bigger team, like garages, you know, or kind of these huge two-day move-ins, which for me, I didn't enjoy that much. The projects that I really enjoy are working closely with a client. And sometimes the client's there and sometimes they're not, but overall you work closely with them to know what they want. You know, so much of doing a project right is listening a lot to a client, whether, you know, like all of their emotions about things, what they want, what hasn't been working. So the projects that I want now mainly just require me. And also I noticed in the year where I had assistance that um, it wasn't as efficient as I thought it would be with more hands. I think I was doing more project managing than I was doing the really refined system creation that I love doing. And so that was a really good journey for me because it was another example of, okay, I can be comparing, you know, the whole idea of like comparing my insides to other people's outsides, like, you know, comparing what I think I should be doing with what seems to be working really well for them. And it's another example of trying things on and seeing what works and then kind of finding what works for you. Um, your other question about, you know, support and, you know, relationships, other entrepreneurs, that is like one of the greatest joys I feel like in my career right now is some of the relationships I've created. Um, and even apart from other people, whether it's similar industries um, or other organizers that I've become really close with other over eight years, I also have this group of women who I've been friends with for 20 years, and we all have different careers. You know, one of them is a children's book author. One of them is a real estate agent. Like, they're just women who, no matter what I say or do, they will, like, always love and support me. And that is such a safe, good feeling. And we have these, you know, group calls once a week just to check in and kind of unload. I mean, 
unload all like edit all the baggage emotionally that kind of keeps us stuck and it's just this like really safe place to leave it and also encourage each other like i i can't tell you how many times over the last eight years where these are the women that i call and cry and be like i don't think i can i don't think i can do this i don't think i can have three kids and run a business and they'll so lovingly be like halls like I hear you and you know I really believe in you and if you need to slow down a little bit right now great if you don't like they never we never tell each other like what to do like we know what's best for each other but it's just more of this like very gentle kind support of knowing each other's like like I don't know I don't know how to say it like kind of like knowing each other's like truth you know like at the end of the day, you're such a good person and I love you and I will support you no matter what you do. Like, I feel like that's what we all need to be successful, right? Like be truly successful. Um, so they are like my cheerleaders to the end. The other, you know, group of people are these other female entrepreneurs um, that, you know, some have still small businesses, some have really big businesses with multiple team members and product lines. And so everybody's kind of in different places, but it's more just the relationships that we've formed over the years with different things we've been through. And um, there's a few women who, if I'm having a really hard situation with a client or, you know, whatever it is, we call each other and we ask for advice and we can laugh about it and we can say, okay, it's part of the process. And that's also something really good to hear. Like, I really appreciate when somebody tells me like, Holly, you own a business. And as the business gets bigger, it's, there's going to be harder things. Like it just kind of comes with the territory. And, you know, here's my experience. It may or may not work for you. Let me know how it goes. I love you. You know? And yeah, I, I think whether, you know, you own a business or not, I think like, every single human, but especially every single mom, like needs those cheerleaders. Um, because, oh, you know, it can be exhausting. <laughs> They're beautiful. All right. I've got, um, some questions that I always ask at the end of each interview. And I, I love them because I think it provides an interesting insight into, you know, everyone's different personalities and desires and all that sort of thing. So the first one is which yeah. five words best describe you? Oh my gosh, this is, I feel like this is a tough one because like an interview question, you're like, gosh, I hope I picked the right words. <laughs> no, but, um, ah, uh, empathetic. Um, that has been, you know, one of my greatest gifts and probably Achilles heel since I was really little. Um, very determined, uh, again, all these can be like the biggest blessing and a little bit of stumbling blocks. Um, I wish I had like the word for this, but uh, I really, really de desire connection. Um, you know, whatever I'm doing, if it's like I'm on the soccer field with other parents, like I just like want to connect with somebody. So I know there's probably a word for that and I'm not thinking of it. Um, I feel like I should ask my husband. He could probably come up with some really good words. <laughs> um, my kids would probably say I'm very silly. 
my eight-year-old often asks me to stop dancing in the car when we're at the stoplight because she's embarrassed other people see me. Um, okay, so that was probably four. Yeah. How many do I need? Do I need a fifth? If you if you can find it. So if you, before you were um, saying about your family used the word perfection or perfectionism, and you know, uh, and I'm a recovering perfectionist too. So no, where would no. you say that you're at on that journey then? Like, are you more? Oh, I don't know. It depends on how much sleep, it depends on how much sleep I've gotten. My, and it's true. Like I noticed that my perfectionism, which also can be labeled as controlling, <laughs> can go up if I'm stressed because right. Like if my, it goes back to when I was little, if my internal environment feels chaotic, I will like, I mean, my kids are like, mom, what are you? what are you doing? Are you like organizing that random drawer? And I'm like, yeah, I'm stressed. You know, so um, it depends on the day, but uh, I feel like, especially um, my journey as a mom has really forced me to inject the word gentle into my life in many ways. Um, That is something I'm really working on is I want my kids to be really gentle with themselves. And, you know, when they make those mistakes or even with friendships, with school, whatever it is, like, I want them to be gentle on themselves. And uh, there's nothing like having kids to be the mirror. So it's really been a good opportunity for me to like, look back at myself and be like, okay, I'm trying to be this role model who's telling my kids to be gentle with themselves. Like, how am I being gentle with myself? You know? So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Um yeah, I, I think, I mean, I can so relate to the sensory thing as well. I mean, I think that's for me, I'm so affected by my environments. And I, and I think, like you said earlier, you know, have, when you have children, you really realize how we are all so different. And that's just the way that we're wired in whatever way, because I've got one daughter who is very much like that. She's incredibly sensory um, for noise, but in a beautiful way sometimes. Like she'll say, mom, can you hear that in the trees or, you know, like she will hear the slightest little thing, but also she gets very overwhelmed very quickly. If there's too much noise, you know, so it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Completely understand. What's the best lesson you've learned? Mm. That's such a good question. That those mistakes that you wish you could take back or change or have prevented are often the most important part of the journey. And that is something that I am constantly reminding myself, even today, there's, you know, there's something very difficult going on with my business. And um, as much as most days, I wish it would go away. And I, I want to know the answer and the outcome. I also know that it is being presented to me to really sharpen that part of me that I probably struggle with or doubt myself on. And, and that is about like, you know, trusting myself. So this, this one particular, very challenging situation, I really believe is my, the universe's way of kind of being like, Holly, you can trust yourself, you know? And I think, so I think that's the biggest lesson. And, and I, and I don't even say that is like, I have it mastered or, um, I'm the expert on it at all. It's, it's that I, I really, really believe that 
all these things where I want to, you know, control it and make it not happen or go away or know how it's going to end. Like those are the gifts, you know? Yeah, no, completely. I was actually just writing something for another episode and I was, and I truly believe this. I actually had this in my very first episode, which is um, the, the greatest challenges are often the greatest opportunities. You know, it's like that opportunity to learn. It's like how you grow, how you evolve, all of those things. But when you're in the thick of it, it can feel very hard and challenging. But um, yeah, no, I totally. can completely relate. Uh, what's your proudest achievement? Hmm. This weekend, I had a pretty proud achievement. <laughs> my daughter was in a dance recital. It's my eight-year-old. And um, I don't own eyeliner. And I realized last weekend I didn't even own blush. And that is like not being a cool mom to her. Like cool moms have like full makeup kits, which it's once again, our kids can come out so different from us. Um, but like on a lighter note, I did her makeup. Like I went to the store and got like uh, all these like, you know, eyeliner, smoky eyeshadow. Like I, I don't even know how to, but I did her makeup and she looked up at me and she's like, mom, did a really good job. And I will tell you like, that felt like such an accomplishment to me because, you know, my eight-year-old is like eight going on like 14. There are very few moments where she like looks at me and she's like, wow, mom, like you're awesome. Like that's pretty good. And so like, I just honestly felt so proud of myself. Okay. This is the funniest part is, you know, I did her eyeliner for this dance performance. She comes out a few hours later from dancing and it looks like, I don't know. It looks like a fire pit of charcoal attacked her face. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I told, I told some of my girlfriends who know me pretty well, like I, I did my daughter's makeup and I'm pretty proud of myself. And it was so funny because she came out and there was like so much more eyeliner and everything. And they were like, Holly, like you did a good job. And I'm like, and I said, honey, like, did your, did your dance teacher put more makeup on you after, <laughs> you know, I left and she's like, no mom, I found some eyeliner and I did it myself. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh goodness, this is so good. Um, so on a light note, that was a pretty big uh, accomplishment for me as a mom. Um, also, I would say directly related to breathing room, you know, from the start of it, I really, really held strong in my my gut and what I wanted. And there were a lot of times where you know, where, whether it was like, I felt like other people were kind of questioning what I was doing or, you know, I was kind of being given these messages like, oh, like who knows if it's going to succeed or any, ex you know, external input on what I was doing. You know, sometimes I heard, sometimes it affected me, but I pushed to the side and I kept marching forward with what I wanted. And so, I mean, truly like one of my biggest, um, the proudest things is that, you know, I've kept up with it, even in the moments where, you know, I've been postpartum and I've been like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Or, you know, the days where my kids or seasons where my kids are having a hard time emotionally, socially, academically, whatever. And I, I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, I just need to throw, like, you know, I get black or white and I just, I want to stop things, you know, and I'm really proud of myself. I feel funny even saying I'm proud of myself, but I'm very glad that I've just kept going. And there's times where I've slowed down or pulled back or, 
you know, changed even expectations of myself. But at the end of the day, I love what I do so much. It gives me so much, um, brings so much value to my life um, that I'm glad I didn't let those moments of fear. And I, I will say it's mainly fear. It's fear that I'm doing something wrong and not being a good enough mom or, you know, that I messed up on whatever thing I was doing with work that, you know, I've, I've kept going despite the fear and despite, you know, judge or not judging, but questioning myself. And I've just kept going. So I think that that's really big. Yeah. That might almost answer the next question, but maybe you've got another answer, which is what's been your best decision? Hmm. Um, oh my gosh. That singular decision. Um, well, one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think to make sure that I have space in my life, even if I'm trying to be, you know, quote unquote, the perfect parent, which that perfectionism comes in with parenting a lot, or whatever it is that I save space for me. Um, sometimes I convince myself that, uh, you know, to be a better mom, I would give more time to X, Y, Z. And, um, and sometimes you, you do, you know, it's all about shifting and you have to be really flexible as a mom, but, um, that I, that I've kept a little space, you know, for me and whether that's, you know, my journaling in the morning, or those are my Monday calls with my group of you know female friends that you you know you, you keep the space for you so that you kind of don't and not even like in a like don't lose yourself but just so that that you give yourself that breathing room to find the clarity or I'll say for me it's been so important to make those sometimes daily decisions or seasonal seasons are you know seasons of life are so different but those decisions of you know, how am I going to give myself the breathing room so that I can like stay grounded? Because again, I'm a lot of people are like, how do you stay so balanced? And I'm like, oh gosh, like get in my car after school. I'm not balanced. Like, you know, like, but um, that you give yourself the space um, and, and, and the space to kind of reassess things and and pivot. And I think if I'm not giving myself the space, I'm going to keep going forward with like maybe these expectations of how things should be right now, instead of like, okay, wait, it's a different season. And, you know, things are going to look a little different right now. And, you know, no matter how busy things are, I need to give myself that space um, and that breathing room to just kind of connect with those small voices that it's really easy to ignore because life is busy. Mm, so important. Who's inspiring you right now? <sighs> um, my son's kindergarten teacher <laughs> inspires me a lot. Uh, I volunteer, you know, every few weeks in this little, you know, like it's like an hour and a half. And um, she's genius. She's so good. Like, honestly, like, I think everybody just needs to go into a kindergarten class every once in a while. She does this wave breathing where she's, you know, she makes these kindergartners and they go like this. And I know people can't see me, but, you know, they bring up their arms with the inhale and then they do waves with their hands on the exhale. And 
I started doing that in the car and my kids think it is the funniest thing in the world. And if they only knew, like, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm like, no, I'm like holding it together. <laughs> uh, so my son's kindergarten teacher really inspires me. Um, my kids really inspire me, man, like to be a kid and to really try to navigate, you know, all these new things. Like when you really see your kid, like going through struggles, it is, um, it's a really good reminder of like just vulnerability and, you know, authenticity and, you know, these little humans just working it all out. And that, you know, sometimes we can be like bigger and adults still trying to work it out. Um, the kids are just a lot more honest about it, you know? Yeah, no, completely. And I completely agree about the the teachers, the kindergarten teachers. We had <laughs> oh hours my in, goodness. Uh, yeah. She did this exercise where she she got us to do some of the activities that the children do and she had all these sticks and like you had to jump over the sticks and and yeah, you can sort of see like, wow, that'll be a great idea when a rainy day when the kids oh. have nothing to do and <laughs> you know, all these things. Totally simple things. Um totally. what what are you passionate about? Hmm. Um, things keep going back to like being a mom and my kids. Um, and that's just true because they're little. I'm very passionate about just making sure that they know like they are loved and they can mess up. And um, I'm very, and that's interesting, like, you know, I, say the word passionate, but it's almost like um, my awareness and where I'm putting a lot of energy right now is um, making sure that, you know, their experience right now is like just one of a lot of uh, compassion and grace. So that's, I feel like a lot of my passion is going towards that. And it, it really, it also like really impacts, you know, in a good way um where my work is leading it right like it's kind of like as an artist like what's inspiring me like sometimes it's my kids challenges and struggles that inspire me in my work and you know what I create and you know the the solutions that I find for even other clients are born from my struggles in my own home you know yeah no, completely what dream do you still want to fulfill I would love to write a book. <laughs> um, and it's something that I've had, you know, I mean, it's something I've had on my mental list for years and years and years. And then it became, you know, when you're, to me, when I write something down, it becomes very, very official. Like, I definitely believe in the written word. I journal every morning. And um, so when it became like, I wrote it down as a goal, there was a lot more like, okay, Holly, like, you know, not not expectation, but almost like accountability, like a friend would have accountability. It's like, okay, like you need to create space to do this. And and I haven't quite yet created the space in my life to do that yet, but that is still um a very big dream and goal for me. And um it would be something that uh you know would be very um as far as the content of a book, it's uh have you ever read the artist's way yes yeah okay so I mean 
talk about like where our journeys go. I read that when I was 19 and it uh, was really like informative in my life. And that's kind of when I decided a few years later to like, you know, stop what I was doing for work and then travel. I mean, I, I traveled through it by myself, <laughs> like just by myself. And that book had a lot to do with that. Um, and uh, my, my vision and my dream is to kind of create a similar uh, imprint. I just used the word imprint, um, <laughs> but a similar guide, how that book really kind of holds people's hands and gives them the tools and stuff, but in a way of uh, shifting it towards your space and your environment. Yeah, beautiful. I'd love to read it. Um, what are you reading? What's on your coffee table or your nightstand? What, what are you reading at the moment? Um, well, this is not glamorous or um, probably even something I really want to <laughs> have people to know. I love romance novels. <laughs> I really think that like nobody would expect, like, I, I mean, like I love the Bridgerton series. It's kind of one of those things that at the end of the day, like, as much as you know sometimes there's my like positive parenting books or whatever but like every other like parenting book like I need a good escape into like you know romantic European 18th century romance like I it really does it for me no I think, I think that's very healthy <laughs> it's, I mean I love it like I really do like my husband's like just laughs like I, you know, get in my, get in bed and like, just pull up my little romance novel. And I think he looks over at me and he's like, oh my goodness, he's he pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you listening to at the moment? Do you listen to podcasts? Otherwise, you know, music, what, what, what do you like listening to? Uh, right now I'm listening to uh, skip counting for like five-year-olds <laughs> in the car. We listen to a lot of like multiplication, skip counting. Um, but when I'm in the car by myself and I remember to change it to something I like, um, like I, I do a lot of, oftentimes for clients, I'll be in the car for about an hour there and back. And, um, I listen to uh, a podcast called good inside and it's, it's a really wonderful parenting podcast that, you know, I think the reason I like that one, and that's pretty exclusively the only one I listen to is as much as she's talking about like tools for your kids it's really like tools for yourself you know so I really love that one and um it's just she's very smart um I also like a podcast called Smartless it's with Jason Bateman and um Sean Hayes and uh Will Arnett and it's like not for children like I'll just preface it with that um, but they always have somebody on like Maya Rudolph or Will Ferrell, you know, or, uh, Steve Carell. And it, it, I mean, I laugh so much. So it's usually like on my way to a client, I'll listen to like, I'll get all my good parenting stuff. And on the way home, I laugh my bum off, like just in stitches laughing at the things, you know, the songs that they're creating, like, they're just really, they're like genius comedians. So those are pretty fun. Yeah, I listen to that sometimes. It just that zone out kind of, you know. Yeah, totally. I, I think it's good to have those things where you can just. It, it's not about self betterment all the time, and you know you're gonna have yes, some re totally re release valve kind of thing. Um, and finally, totally. what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. 
Um, that's, isn't that such a good question? Because that's also like as moms, like what we what we want our kids to get. But yeah, like you know, even as grown adults, we need we need that. Um, what would I give that piece of advice? I think one particular piece of advice. Um, I would give myself is I think in a lot of the struggles as a kid, you, you think you're alone. You think you're the only one going through it and not to diminish, um, not, you know, not saying, oh, you're not alone or you're not the only one, not to diminish what, you know, one is going through, or, you know, little me was going through, but just to be like, yeah, like a lot of people, a lot of people feel this exact same way. And a lot of people really struggle with that or, um, and even in the way of like, you're, you're totally, you're surrounded by love and you're going to get through this kind of that kind of like, you're not alone, you know? Um, cause I think in my little kid and grown adult overthinking, it can be really, uh, isolating. Sometimes your, your own thoughts can be pretty isolating and to kind of like open those, those shutters of like, oh, you know, life, life, there's a lot of stuff that is challenging and you're never alone in it. You're never alone in it. You always have the support and experience of others to like really guide you through it. Yeah. Beautiful. So finally, I should also ask, um, how can people connect with you? What's the best way for people to, to see more about your work and what you do? Yeah, on a daily basis, um, Instagram's really the only <laughs> uh, social media outlet I even attempt, and that's just because of really prioritizing my time. I don't even know what's going on with my Facebook page. I think it's been disconnected. That tells you how much I um, <laughs> do with that. Um, but on a daily basis, like in stories and stuff, I'm always talking about projects I'm doing, um, whether it's personal projects or work projects, collaborations, um, client things on a daily basis. I'm always there. Um, otherwise, you know, my website is always a good place to reach out and connect. Great. And we'll put obviously all those links as well as we'll find that link to the, um, the frequently asked questions that you mentioned on your blog that, um, you had that resource. So that's great. Thank you so much, yeah. um, Holly, for your time. Oh, I really loved you, hearing about your journey and um, your insights and your tips. So yeah, very much appreciated. Oh, well, thank you. This is a, such an honor. And I really loved even hearing, you know, what you have to say about, you know, your process with your home and um, just all that you do too. I'm always inspired. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.
I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.